Hello, everybody. This is Rob Fredette with HodgePod, a new podcast, and we look back at history, and we're looking back at another music group that we're going to be talking about today, and it's the group called the Monkees from the mid-60s. And I have a special guest today, and uh, I am here in Memphis, Tennessee, on a Sunday morning at 6 o'clock, and Linda Groundwater is joining me from Australia. So, Linda, welcome for joining me, and thank you. Thanks, Rob. You know, I love getting to talk to you. Well, thank you very much, and uh, you're 16 hours ahead, so we need to get you to uh, get ready for work the next day. So um, <laughs> so welcome to the podcast. We're going to be talking the monkeys. So basically, the monkeys were a huge, huge success in the mid-60s. So explain to those what, how huge the monkeys were in the 60s and how they're still relevant in some respect and real respect today. Well, you know, it's funny because the monkeys were very, very big in the 60s. But, of course, they came about as legend tells, mainly because of the Beatles you know, the, and the British invasion in general. So in, in England, of course, they had the, the Beatles and the, the Turtles and all the other British bands that were making their way across the Atlantic uh, into the U.S. and the teenagers were going crazy and the Ed Sullivan show had the Beatles on and there were a couple of guys who said, you know, we really need to capitalize on that. We should do something like that here. And so they had an English young man named David Jones who was working on Broadway and who was under contract um, and said, we need to find something for him. We need to find something to do with him. He'll be terrific. Let's do it. And they found the concept of the monkeys. So they put out an ad, 400, over 400 people responded to the ad. Some people had auditions, such as Mickey Dolenz, who had been an actor when he was much younger in his own TV show as Mickey Braddock doing Circus Boy. Uh, and they had musicians like Michael Nesmith and Peter Tork. And they came along and we said, you know, they said, we these are the four. This is the lightning in a bottle. Let's go. It was all very um it was all very scripted but also very improvised and and the thing that people don't realize is that it looks very madcap and off the cuff uh on screen but when they did their tv show in 1966 but they actually would sit down and have them study the marx brothers the three stooges um abbott and costello you know all the the great physical comedy, improvisational stuff so that they could understand really how to act and be comfortable with their bodies on camera. But they were also musicians. Uh, you know, as I said, Davy Jones was on, on Broadway. He was mm -hmm. playing the Artful Dodger uh, in Oliver. Mickey had a band. He was a guitarist and became a drummer by force. Uh, Davy Jones tells the story that when they asked which one of you wants to be the drummer's step forward, that Davy, Mike, and Peter all took a step backwards, and therefore Mickey became the drummer. Um, and and you will rarely see Mickey playing drums now as he was a guitarist when you see him touring, and he is almost always touring. He'll be on tour again early next year, um, That that he's playing guitar. Um, and then Mike and Peter, as musicians, came along and they worked all day running a, uh, recording a series. And then in the evening, they would go and record. But the first that the world heard of them was in August of 66, and it was music. 
they heard Last Train to Clarksville. Last Train to Clarksville went to number one in the first weekend in November 1966, and the show had just launched a few weeks earlier. And now they are still in the charts. They had a resurgence in the 80s. They re- released an album on their 50th anniversary uh, and another album after that, another couple albums after that, and they're still charting. And, uh, and, and now it's just this great joy of being able to relive our youth either through watching the series or through listening to music that really just makes us feel good. Yeah, excellent, excellent explanation about how the, uh, the monkeys uh, started. But I, you, you spoke briefly about the 50-year the anniversary album. I actually listened to it yesterday. And uh, you actually, it sounds like their earlier album, it's amazing, 50 years apart, and some of the songs on that album are incredible. Oh, it's terrific. I mean, they had Death Cab for Cutie and Weezer, and, you know, they had, uh, uh, oh, I can't remember his first name, oh, Rivers. The o- um, Oasis, uh, was it Noel or Liam Gallagher from Oasis? Yes, yes. And what they did was they went out looking for people who made music or wrote music that who understood the monkeys. And if you listen to a lot of bands that came after, they will say that they were fans of the monkeys because the thing about the monkeys was the monkeys themselves. If you watch the TV show, the TV show was about an unsuccessful band. <laughs> you know, they managed to live in this incredible Malibu beach house and heaven knows how they could afford it. That's the big story. But they were an unsuccessful band. They were always looking for ways to pay their rent. They were always looking for ways to have, you know, to, to get a gig and to, to get a recording contract. And people could relate to that. Kids could relate to that. They didn't really have an authority figure either. If you watch, there weren't any authority figures looking after them. And that was all really um, controversial and very fresh and new at the time. You don't think of it now. You think four young kids living in a flat, big deal. But in those days, that was completely different from anything that people had seen before. And so these people, Death Cab for Cutie and Liam Gallagher and whatnot, they will often say, oh, it was the monkeys, it was the monkeys, it was the monkeys. And, and the monkeys had tremendous writers. They had, you know, Neil Sedaker, and they had Boyce and Hart, and they had Carol King. Carol King wrote some beautiful stuff for them. John Stewart, uh, Neil Diamond. They, you know, they had a, a stable of writers, and the music just holds up. And so they looked for people who really understood that kind of of feeling and that background and whatnot and said, we want this kind of feeling and the good times album. And there are a couple of songs by Mike uh, Nesmith in that good times album as well. The good times album is as good as anything they put together in the sixties. Just tremendous. Yeah. I listened to the album yesterday and there's one song on that album called love to love. And I, I listened to it a couple times and it has a feel of three artists or bands one of them is the monkeys their early items and then if you listen to it uh it sounds like a little bit and i'm not musically inclined or anything but it sounds a little bit like a little bit me a little bit you and it definitely has that Mm. neil diamond sound to it if you really listen to it you know the neil diamond songs and it even sounds Mm -hmm. a little bit like the beatles so it's like three of these musicians and groups um that 
in this song it was really it's it's an awesome song i didn't I mean i can't believe i've overlooked that but uh i really uh, enjoyed listening to that song and you spoke of neil diamond um he uh wrote i'm a believer and uh my favorite monkey song a little bit me a little bit you well that song um love to love is was actually written in the and it's the only song on the album where he, it's it's Davy Jones singing it, and that album came out after he died. Wow! Um, and it was re it was redone. Uh, it was redone so that um, I'm just trying to remember who wrote it, um, but I think it, it was um, it was Alex uh, Jeringas, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it was written in the in the sixties, recorded in the sixties, and what they did was they extracted the song with Davy's voice, mm. and the other three redid the backing tracks with him. I had heard that song before. I was actually, admittedly, a tiny bit disappointed that that song was the one they chose because I already knew it really well from the Missing Link <laughs> album, which are other other bits of unreleased tracks. Um, but that one was, a bit, and it just, but, it, but it, as you could hear, it just really fit in with the tone of the rest of the album. So when you think um, of, me ahead. and Magdalena, mm-hmm. re, sorry, me and Magdalena actually charted, um, in the top 20 in the U S, um, uh, a beautiful, uh, mix of Mickey Dolan's and Mike Nesmith singing together. And when they did it on tour, when I saw them do it on tour, their voices were just amazing together. And that song they actually fought over. Mickey wanted to do that one, and Mike said, I'll take that, thank you. <laughs> and then Mickey had to come in and do the other vocals with him. Wow. So when you look back at the songs that the Monkees had in the 60s, um, they have one characteristic that no other band or musician has in any genre, any years, decades, that no other band can even get close to. And it is the four number one albums in one calendar year. Is that correct? Yeah, because they were constantly recording, constantly recording, constantly um, working. And there is a bit of controversy there as well, because in that first year, the second album came out, they didn't know. They were out on tour and somebody said, hey, look at this. I got this from across the street. And all of a sudden, there was this More of the Monkeys, which happens to be one of my favorite albums of theirs. Um, but they didn't know it had been released. And if you read the back of the album, you know, when those days where you used to have to read the back yes, of a record. absolutely. Um, if you read the back of the album, the Monkeys is Don Kirshner's love letter to himself, really. Um, you know, thank you to all these amazing people. Oh, and let's thank the monkeys somewhere down the bottom of that. But that's where you have I'm a believer sometime in the morning. She um, just an extraordinary album of, of any. And in those days, it was also, you know, not every song that you heard got onto an album. So you said like a little bit me, a little bit you. That song's not on an album. Mm-hmm. But it was a single which they also didn't know about. So it was actually released in Canada and then pulled very quickly and then, and came out later with a different, with a different track on the, on the B side. So, um, you know, they, they went 
through a lot in those days. It was work, 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 but they weren't actually being given credit or being allowed to do. They often got a lot of uh, grief for not playing on their own albums because the wrecking crew was playing and whatnot. It's not that they didn't want to. They either didn't have the time to or they weren't told. I think I've told a story at one point where Peter showed up with his guitar one day to do work on the album. And they said, what are you doing? He said, I'm here to <laughs> do my tracks. And they said, no, we're done. You can go. And Peter was nothing if not a musician. Peter played many, many instruments. And it was always such a joy on tour watching him play um, classical music. Um, he played keyboards, you know, piano, and he played banjo, and he played guitar, and he played bass. And, you know, Peter and French horn. And Peter was a remarkably talented musician. And for him to be turned away from having any say or any part of his own music, that created the third album, Headquarters, which was their which was their great freedom cry, I guess you could call it, where they said, we are in control of this whole album. So those first four albums in the year, the Meet the Monkeys, More of the Monkeys, Headquarters, Pisces, Aquarius, the uh, Capricorn and Jones, those albums were tremendous, but tell an entire, an entire story of the monkeys if you know the background well check and they were doing all of that while they were doing the series that's incredible i mean they're just the heart they were hard working but check this out i you know i love looking at stats so the four albums this is a time when back in the 60s 70s and even 80s you know uh records would have to get airplay at radio stations uh, just to get on there was no like mtv or anything so it was just television and radio so here are the uh the albums the monkeys sold over five million albums that year and it was at the position of number one 13 weeks more the monkeys number one at 18 weeks at number one sold more than five million albums their third album was at peak number one position headquarters for one week again, and they sold three million of that. And then the uh, Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited was at number one for five weeks, three million. So if you just do the quick math, they sold over sixteen million albums in nineteen sixty-seven. That is insane. And unlike what um, rumor they started. And when they came down here, they sat down with an interview. Mike and, and Mickey came down in 2019, and um, Mickey and Peter came down in 16. But in 19, they sat down, and Mike and, and uh, Mickey always had a very close relationship, um, a close working relationship. They had a lot of respect for each other. Um, and it actually came out really nicely on the tour. It was very heartwarming um, on the tour. And they sat down and talked about the things that they had said and did that people believe. So they said, oh, and if you look anywhere online, you will actually see quoted as fact. The monkeys outsold the Beatles and the Rolling Stones combined in 1967. That was not true. <laughs> and Mike Nesmith himself said it. And he said, I thought I'd see how gullible they are, and they fell for it. And if you look online, you will still see that <laughs> being quoted here and there along with the one that Mickey started, which is that out of those 437 people who auditioned, Charles Manson was auditioning to be a monkey. And that, of course, was not true, although Stephen Stills did. And when they looked at Stephen Stills and said, yeah, you know, you're a good position and you're a nice guy, but you're horrible, 
he said, I've got a friend who keeps getting mistaken for me from back in the village. I'm going to send him over. And that was Peter Tork. And that's how Peter got in. Wow, that's incredible. Um, but those rumors about who sold what and who auditioned and whatever, those, those, the boys often started them themselves just for kicks. And we were stupid enough to fall for it. And you know what, though, when they did the auditions, you know, it's amazing how you see uh, people who, um, you know, audition. And it looks like they got the cast right. I mean, you look at Davy Jones, he's the heartthrob. And, of course, uh, they kind of wanted to follow in the path of the Beatles. Mickey Dolenz was the gregarious, you know, always having fun. Peter Tork, in my opinion, you may disagree, was more of like, looked like the, the real musician. And Michael Nesmith was a musician, but he was more the laid-back type on there and uh, kind of quiet. But they all uh, meshed together with all their different personalities. And I think that's really what made them successful on their TV show. You know, you talk about the music, but the TV show was a massive hit, too. Oh, huge. The TV show was huge. Um, I mean, and it never had the most amazing ratings because it was aimed at the younger audience, but they did win an Emmy. Um, and, and they did win Emmys. And um, they they played to type. You know, Mickey was a very gregarious and outgoing person, larger than life. He still is, by the way. He's actually a, a really lovely man, does tons of work for Make-A-Wish loves meeting his fans, loves being on tour, tours now with his sister, um, Coco, who did some backup work for them in the old days, but um, lovely, 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 um, caring man. Um, Davey was always going to be that little British heartthrob. Mike was more the laid back. The one who played totally against type was Peter, mm-hmm. who in the series was an absolute idiot, but in reality was anything but very smart man came from a uh, an education oriented family became a teacher himself later on uh, but they understood what it took to work together and, and mickey often described it as lightning in a bottle you can't repeat it you don't know what creates it sometimes you just get the mix right um, if you can see the uh, if you watch the tv series um, DVDs or Blu-rays because they're out on Blu-ray mm-hmm. uh, and you can see the actual um, you can see them doing uh, what do they call them screen tests you can see them doing their individual screen tests and group screen tests and you can wow. see them working with other people to see which which mix worked better and you just look at some of the pairings and you go no not this one but <laughs> ah, that one will do <laughs> Not this guy, but that guy, and and you could just see how it how it worked. And you know they were a they weren't a band; they were a TV show about a band. Wow! That became a band, and so Mickey often said it was like uh, it was like Pinocchio becoming a real boy, or more to the point of how Mickey prefers it is Leonard Nimoy really became Spock. <laughs> That's correct. What you know when you look back at the auditions, it's just something off the uh, beaten path here. So Mickey Dolenz and Michael Nesmith, in doing some research for the Monkees, they auditioned to play the Fonz on Happy Days. Henry Winkler ended mm. up getting the part for Fonz, and he was the perfect, perfect, uh, oh, perfect, f- perfect mm-hmm. Fonz. I mean, everybody knows that the Happy Days went on for the whole decade of the seventies. And another cool fact: what David Bowie? You've heard of David Bowie, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, David Bowie was born David Robert Jones and went by Davy Jones in his early formative rock and roll days. 
He changed his name to avoid <laughs> any confusion with the monkey star and picked Bowie based on frontiersman Jim Bowie and his eponymous uh, pun- knife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, there, there was a little bit of there's a little bit of controversy in the monkeys universe about that, saying that he didn't actually change it because of that, as he was more known well before uh, before Davy Jones as a monkey. But Davey was already known. Davey was a jockey first, and we went to Broadway. And mm-hmm. Davey was known theatrically when he was much younger. But David Bowie was certainly not going to change it back after that. And he said, that, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not me. And Mickey, as a young boy, was actually not known. And, you know, the thing is, Davey Jones is the only one who really used his full real name hmm. on the show. Mickey's first name is George, but he never used George because that was his father's name, and his father was a known actor. So when he was a child, instead of being George Dolan's, when Mickey was doing Circus Boy, he was Mickey Braddock. And then when he became an adult and his father had passed, and he went back to using Mickey Dolan's. But if you watch, again, the original series and the original original credits and whatnot, even on there, he was Mickey Braddock. You know, Peter Tork, his surname wasn't Tork, it was Thorkelson, and Mike Nesmith was Robert. But no, and for a while he was known as Michael Blessing uh, because he was already in the music business and doing some of that. But again, then became Mike Nesmith, aka Woolhat, and he had to wear that dang green beanie <laughs> because he wore it to the audition and then they wouldn't let him take it off. Wow, that's wow. It after a while, they wouldn't let him take it off. And you'll notice in the second season, you don't see him wear it. But they took a lot more control by the second season. They were offered a third season, uh, but they chose not to do it because they didn't want that format anymore. They wanted more of a variety show. There was a variety show that aired called 33 and a Third Revolutions Per Monkey. It aired against the Emmys and it bombed miserably. But you know, it was the first thing I thought of when I saw that Jerry Lee Lewis had passed away because he and Fats Domino and Little Richard and Julie Driscoll were all in that special with them. You know, um, Dick Van Dyke brought his family to the set. Sammy Davis Jr. brought his family to the set. Frank Zappa was a guest on The Monkees. Um, and and Mickey was a, is, was, is, is a personal friend of Alice Cooper. They went to high school together. Man, uh, oh, man. So there's a lot of... And he, yeah, he was part of the Hollywood Vampires, Mickey and and Alice Cooper, and what there was there was the Hollywood Vampires, the original Hollywood Vampires. Um, and if you look that that up, you'll see all sorts of interesting stories, um, you know. And the Beatles, which people used to rag on them because they say, "Oh, these are the Beatles, these are the Beatles," and they'd say, "Well, John Lennon understood." John Lennon said, "These guys are like them. These guys are the Marx Brothers." And among the other things that they were watching, this is what they were watching to understand how to create that comedy that these people had, um, was watch the Marx Brothers, watch the Three Stooges, watch mm-hmm. all these improv experts to understand how to, to do it. And the Beatles respected the monkeys, and the monkeys certainly respected the Beatles and used to go party with them. And uh, when they went to England, they had there was a party there it's where Mickey met one of his, his first wife. Um, and, and there was a lot of respect between them because they understood each other's roles. They weren't competing with each other. Nobody was going to beat the Beatles. No way. The younger ones were always going to go to the monkeys. You know, no problem. No problem. 
great fun though. You can still watch the TV show and just have fun just watching. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, we talked about the album. So here's some of the songs that, uh, singles that the, uh, the monkeys came out with last train to Clarksville. Number one at, for one mm-hmm. week, I am a believer. Number one for seven weeks. I'm not your stepping stone. That is a awesome song. Uh, my That's favorite B side. I know it is a B side song. It's, it's, it's a, a B side. Imagine those days when they were B sides, and you could. <laughs> oh, I and know. B side. Just that's the B side to "I'm a Believer." Yes. Imagine how both those songs were so incredible. Having a B side as strong as I'm as I'm not your stepping stone. Yeah, I, a little bit me, a little bit you. That's my favorite. Uh, I love the vi- they did the mm-hmm. video. They did some sort of um, video presentation with that song. It's really awesome. Um, the girl I knew, terrific. the girl I knew somewhere B side number my 39. Favorite. That's a great song written by Mike written by Mike. That, that is one. incredible. Check this song out. Pleasant Valley Sunday. I love this song. This song just sucks you. I don't know what it is about this song. It's just like, it's a perfect Sunday song. And, uh, that peaked at number three, um, words, a B side song peaked at number 11 and then daydream believer, probably if you had to probably put probably in my opinion, maybe not yours, but probably the top three, maybe top two of the, uh, the monkeys, the most notable songs. I, I would think that daydream believer, well, certainly one of the most notable. Yep. Absolutely. Certainly one of the most notable. And then Valerie by going down mm-hmm. the B side to daydream believer is going down, which the monkeys wrote, which is an amazing, um, rap slash scat song. Um, that Mickey still sings and occasionally um, will have somebody in the audience sing with him. And I've been lucky enough to do that with him twice. Wow. Uh, depends where you, depends where you sit and how much you pay for your seat. But I've been, <laughs> but I've been, I'm looking over at my wall and I can see the pictures of me doing it with him. Both that- times they came to, to Brisbane. Um, and they, yeah, just, um, they, they, I mean, the, the hit singles were just, and there are so many nuggets of absolutely extraordinary songs that never even made it as a single. But even those songs you're listening, John Stewart, Carol King wrote uh, Goffin and King, you know, uh, Pleasant Valley Sunday. Neil Diamond wrote I'm a Believer. Mm. Uh, just the most, a voice in heart did Last Train to Clarksville. You know, an extraordinary stable of, of songwriters. And, you know, they said, well, they don't write their own songs. It's like, really, is that a problem? Did Elvis write his own songs? Yeah, you know, a, what's what's wrong with taking some of the best there is and using it? You know, if they had the access to it, why not? Absolutely, absolutely. Why not? And uh, when you look back at the albums, though, it's just tremendous, tremendous songs, tremendous albums. So you've had the opportunity to uh, have some uh, meet meet them and be up close to the monkeys. So that must be extra special since you're a huge fan. Um, talk a little bit about that as we start to wrap up the uh, the podcast here. Mm, well, you know, it really was just luck. Um, and for the most part, I would say that I've I've had just a, a glancing blow, so to speak, with, say, three out of four of them. Um, but, I mean, I've been a fan since they were first out in the 60s, although having said that, I'm a, I'm a cradle fan. Um, I used to get told that I would bang on the floor saying, Mickey, 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 so I guess <laughs> nothing's changed. Um, but, um, you know, Davey 
was just is is all was always um, he was the, we lost him first on the 29th of February 2012. Um, it was just such an odd date; it always stuck in my head. Uh, and he loved his fans. Eventually settled in Pennsylvania um, and had a farm there, and was looking at building a theater there from an old church. And he just he did everything for his fans. He appreciated them so much. And although sometimes he could be quite frustrated by being, you know, he was still a monkey. He was always the monkey. He was never going to get away from that. He did still have a solo career after that and continued to tour and. Uh, and the fans still loved him, uh, loved him very much. And um, he always appreciated them. Uh, Peter went on to do a few different things in his life. He became a teacher. He spent a very brief time in the early 70s in jail for some drug addiction um, or from, for drug possession. Uh, but he went completely clean and sober in the early 80s and never looked back. Mm-hmm. Beautiful musician. Again, solo career. Loved the blues. Always was out with uh, Shoe Suede Blues was his band, and he was always out playing with them, creating music. Died of cancer in 2019. Mike was a musician before, during, after. After the Monkees, Mike kind of disappeared off the TV screens, went on to have an amazing uh, music career, primarily in uh, country music, uh, but also in video, did movies like Tape Heads and... Um, Heathers and and he uh, he was really he really learned to appreciate how the fans felt about him himself and the monkeys. My encounter with Peter was very very brief. Um, it was hi how you going you know and that was it. With with Mike I spent probably about three full minutes and that was it. But he was just joyful and fun and so so happy. I think toward. He became very, and his mother invented liquid paper, as people may or may not already know. Oh, yes, that's uh, right. And that's where his money came from to start his production companies and whatnot. Um, but he really learned to absorb and accept and love what being a monkey meant to the people around him. He finally understood it. And so when you encountered him, or at least when I, by the time I encountered him, he just he just wore joy. He was just lovely to to meet and spend time with. And then there was Mickey, and Mickey is the one that I got to spend the most time with. Uh, I flew out to California with a friend. He was very sports oriented. Played tennis, played polo. I got to watch him play a, a game of polo and explained how to play to me over dinner with two glasses of water and salt and pepper shakers. Wow! And he was a tremendous player, and and quite quite a lot of fun. Um, very funny man very giving of his time. Um, I just, I can't say enough about him. It's just such a joy to, to spend time with him. I'm so lucky. If, if anybody is still um, interested in seeing shows, you know, seeing people on tour, they're actually celebrating the album headquarters. That's why he's going out next year. Um, and it's been 55 years and they're going to do a lot of stuff from headquarters and some of the deeper cuts if you're an old fan. And Mickey's going on tour um, in the beginning of April. And going through, I think, the mid to late May, early June, he's mm-hmm. going anywhere from Florida up to Niagara Falls. Uh, and I'm going to go see him again in Massachusetts. Nice. Uh, and just, just looking forward to it. Well. Great time. That Lovely is, people. And when you think about it, too, just real quick before we uh, close out here, uh, remember the movie Shrek? I'm a Believer was covered by Smash Mouth. So, uh, Smash Mouth. Groups, mm-hmm. groups. 
get to uh, probably play songs that they probably have influences from, and I would sure I'm sure without doing any research that Smash Mouth liked the Monkees. But uh, when you hear that song, Smash Mouth, I'm a Believer, that is the cover for the Monkees. And uh, Linda, I want to thank you so much for taking your time um, very much. Uh, Linda and I used to work in radio many, was it 30 years ago? We worked together in radio, Morning Drive. She did the news. Tremendous, Mm -hmm. tremendous news anchor. I did sports, and uh, I want to thank Linda. thought it was fun. It was fun working with you I, yeah <laughs> we can talk about that I'm gonna have Linda back on uh probably for after next year she she has co-authored a book about the actor Bob Crane so uh she'll be back for that one and uh, I'm still it's a it's a long book but she'll be back for that <laughs> and uh uh if she wants to come back she's uh 16 hours ahead I mean when we were in radio what 30 years ago all you got was satellite yeah. and phone and now 30 years later we can do a, a zoom call and uh, you're you're at nighttime in Australia, and I am uh, literally six thirty in the morning, whatever here in Memphis, Tennessee. So, Linda, and it was free now. In those days, it was a dollar a minute. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's incredible. It's incredible what technology can do. And uh, Linda, I want to thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on the monkeys. Um, this is dropping on Monday. That is November fourteenth. So. Linda, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Rob. I really love spending time with you. All right. We'll be in touch soon. It's been way too long. Yes, it has. So thank you so much for being here. All right. Take care.